If you'll turn with me in Colossians chapter 1. We're crawling along here. At, we're going to read verses 15 to 20. And as you're going to see, it's all about Jesus today, which is always good news. <laughs> it's nice when the script is just laid out for you. You know, some, some sermons, when we get ready to preach, it's really obvious what's coming, right? That uh, forgive or, or do mercy. It tells you what to do with your hands. Um, and some of them are much more oriented to your brain, to your thinking, to your understanding. And so that's, that's what this is going after. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he really, regardless of what I say, regardless of what you say? What does the scriptures tell you that Jesus is? And that in itself is meant to go after your heart, uh, that, that he would become sweeter, um, more real, to, that you become more in love and in awe of the gospel, really, as, as the theology moves from your head down into your heart, which then affects your hands and how you live. And so let's, with that little introduction here, just, just letting you know, we're going to do some theology today, and it'll be fun. Hopefully stretch us a little bit, but also teach us. Um, let's, let's read it and pray. This is God speaking to us, his word. He, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's pray. Our Father and God, I, I, as we hear you tell us these amazing things, um, help us believe them. Send your spirit to fill us with the love of God, the power of the resurrection, that we might have wisdom and understanding to know who you are as our Father and what you're doing in our lives and in, in this world. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a great line from the Chronicles of Narnia, the story Prince Caspian when Lucy sees Aslan the lion again, and you remember Aslan in the story is, is the Jesus figure, and it's been a while since he'd seen him, and she says this, Aslan, you're bigger. <laughs> and he replies, well, that is because you're older, little one. And she said, well, not because you are. He said, I am not, but every year that you grow, you will find me bigger, which is a great summary of what it means to, to understand and grow in your understanding of Jesus, that every year you, you realize he's bigger than you could imagine. There's more, to, there's more to him than you first realized. And that's what this passage in Colossians is going to help us see, that as we're in the breathtaking, uh, awe-inducing heights of, of Jesus over all things, right? Jesus is bigger. 
And I, and I hope this helps you, you see that, that in all things, Jesus might be preeminent. He might get all the attention uh, that he would. It's, it's showing you the supremacy and greatness and, and just at the limits of human language of trying to explain who the person of Jesus is. And, and according to Paul, it's that in all things, Jesus might get all the attention from all of creation, from every creature under heaven and on earth. Right, so we, we got a lot to do. And it's interesting as you jump into this, was we're going we're gonna to see who the scriptures say, who, who Jesus was when he was on earth and is. This Jesus is probably just as offensive to our modern ears as it was to the ancient world. Right? Because right, someone in Colossae was coming into this church and saying Jesus was not enough to fill up, fill up your spiritual cup. You are not spiritual enough. You need more than Jesus. And there was a Jewish way of doing that, of saying submit to the law, and there was a, a non-Jewish way of doing that, of saying, well, you need visions, you need angels, you need mystical experiences. You need more than Jesus. And, and so part of what Paul is doing intentionally at the beginning is laying the groundwork for what he'll say later is you don't need anything more than Jesus. Right? There's... And you think about our modern world, right? People say, it's great, I'm glad Christianity works for you. But there's other ways to be spiritual. There's other ways to be human. So why does it matter? Just supplement. Right? And what, when you, that's what I'm going to do is just show you the positive picture that the scriptures say about Jesus that pushes back against this idea that it does not matter what you believe because of what really happened because of what the scriptures say Jesus really is, right? Because that's a common thing I hear is, is whatever makes you kinder, you need something to help you change, to help you grow in your self-improvement. If it's spiritual or religious, that's great. And Paul's response to this confusion, to bad teaching, to bad doctrine, he says, I'm going to show you Jesus. Let me show you the one, you who are a Christian, who, who you're in relationship with to protect you against the counterfeits. That's what this is about, right? So if you're following the train of thought, right, Paul has said, I want you to, I'm praying for you, and what has happened is you're now in the kingdom of God's beloved son, and then he moves on to say, who is this beloved son? And, and, and that's, that's where you get this great paragraph. And so we got two points this morning. Jesus created all things, and Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. And so let's, let's jump in. All right, verse 15. If you look at this, who is Jesus? When you read this text, it helps. You can't tell in the English. Um, Paul has just burst out in poetry of some kind. Right? Some, some commentators think that it's, it's pieces of an ancient hymn that were used to teach the first Christians. Um, maybe something, it's something Paul wrote in particular, or maybe he's just editing it for his purposes. But either way, there's structure, there's a liturgical pattern, there's repetition. He's trying to show you that that Jesus is Lord of creation in verses 15 to 17. And he's Lord of the new creation, specifically the church, in verses uh, 18 to 20. And there's just a lot of different patterns that you can pick up. And we'll, we'll, we'll highlight some of those, but, but I want you to get the content. Right? Poetry is meant to slow you down and to help you see the world a little bit differently. Let's slow down and look at Jesus. What do you see that's different that Paul says? Right, verse 15, Jesus is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Right? So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let's focus on that phrase. One of the strange things that we do as Christians, and our non-religious friends love to point this out, is we talk regularly, constantly, to someone you can't see. We come every Sunday and sing songs, and we say words, and we talk about a God that I have never seen with my own eyes. Right? I've seen evidences, but what the New Testament continually says, and it's, it's pretty shocking, it's a big claim, that when you see Jesus, God's beloved Son, who really lived on the earth, who was overflowing with compassion, who did miracles, who lived, who, as we sang, I believe, he, he died, he rose again for our sins. When you look at Jesus, you see what God is like. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is making the invisible visible. As Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so that's what Paul is getting at. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is making the author of all of history known. And at one point in history, he was huggable. He was touchable. You could, you could see his life and see how God interacts with his creation. And this is huge. If you stop and think about this, Jesus making the visible, the invisible visible and making the unseen seen because every single one of us has that deep desire that our faith will become sight. I'd much rather see it than trust someone else's word. Right? It's, it's human nature. I want to see. Show me. There's this famous story in the Old Testament. Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai to get the laws of God, to talk to God, to see God. He got to see at least uh, the backside of God, the God who rescued Israel from Egypt. And while he is, Moses is being told, this is how you are to be fully human and in relationship with me. Don't make any images, don't make any counterfeits of me. Don't make me visible in a created thing. Right? No images, no idols, no nothing. Right? And while that conversation is happening on the mountain down below, God's people are in actively throwing together a bunch of gold, putting together a cow and saying, this is our God, and breaking all the rest of the commandments at the same time. Right? See, human beings I mean, haven't really changed much. We have ideas on what we want God to be like because we haven't seen him. And Paul says, if you want to know what God is like, Jesus says, if you want to know what my father is like, look at Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Right. You can add to the picture, because image language is sonship language. Right. You get an idea of what a father is like by looking at a son. Right. You want to know what I'm like? Look at my sons. Or see what they will be. <laughs> right. I have moments now where I say things in my head and say, oh my gosh, I am just regurgitating my father, right? Because I am his son. And I look like him, and sometimes I act like him, for better or worse. Right? So what, when Paul is saying Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it's also saying that Jesus is God's beloved son, in whom you see what God the Father. Right? He, Jesus is the one. Just chew, chew on that, that God the Son, in whom... All the fullness of deity dwelled, 
as he bled for you, as he wept for those who suffered, as he ate and drank and built relationships, right? He is showing you what God is like. The Son shows you the Father. And there's more, <laughs> right? Because to be the image of God in the Scripture storyline, you have Genesis 1, right? Adam, he's the first created creature. And so Adam was designed, human beings were designed to be God's children, to, to reflect and look like their father. And so part of what Paul is saying here is Jesus as the image of the invisible God who bled. Um, Jesus was human as you and I are human. Jesus is human as you and I are human. Complete with exhaustion, hunger, thirst. Right? If, if, if part of being a human being is to be made in the image of God, Jesus embodied that. Right? He's holding both together. Jesus is showing you our Heavenly Father, but he's doing so as a human being. That's what, that's what you get when you read the Gospels. And so what do you learn about God when you look at Jesus? The image of the invisible God. Well, in Jesus, the Son, you see God's willingness to suffer for people he loves. You could put it that way. Suffer and bleed for people who have made a mess out of their lives in God's world in order to reconcile his enemies to him. That, that's what God the Son did. What is that telling you about the love of the Father? That he loves you. To the point where he's willing to suffer hurt on your behalf. I mean, when Christians say, when I say as a pastor, God loves you, and we say it with confidence and awe, we say so because we know it looks like Jesus dying on a cross for his enemies, and Jesus being the image of the invisible God is showing us what that love looks like. And we're saying that God loves you in a particular person, in a particular way, and it cost. God loves you in his son, Jesus. It's pretty astounding. Keep going on that phrase, he is the firstborn of all creation. It kind of expands on the sonship idea and, and the image idea because in the ancient world, if you were the oldest, it was, it was great because everything belonged to you. Right? You got the whole inheritance. You got the biggest share. To be the firstborn, you were in charge of what belonged to the father. Right? Or as, as in the, the parable of the prodigal son, when the father says to the, the eldest, my son, all that I have is yours. And so it says, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Everything belongs to Jesus. It's his. Everything you see and can't see. Uh, the authorities, uh, for good or bad, right? Political systems. Uh, even the unseen evil that we don't understand. Supernatural evil. All of creation, heaven and on earth, it all belongs to Jesus because he is the firstborn. He is in charge. It's all his. Right? That's why Abraham Kuyper, the, the famous Dutch Reformed Christian, would say, no single piece of our mental world can be sealed off from the rest, and there's not a square inch in all of our human existence over which Jesus does not cry out, that is mine. <laughs> no part of you 
no part of creation, nowhere you can see or not see that does not belong to Jesus, the firstborn. There's no escape. This is who Paul say, is saying very clearly. This is who Jesus is. So let me ask you, are you starting to feel Jesus um, busting into your independence? <laughs> he's kind of he's walking into your, that place between your ears. He's into your home. He's into your heart. He's in your thoughts. He's, he's crying out to all of you and to all of me and to all of your neighbors and to all of those on the other side of the world. That's mine. God gave that to me. So you start to wonder, I mean, this is, this is why we do missions. Because Jesus has people he loves in other parts of the world that he says are mine. I bled for them. Will you go and tell them? Because Jesus is designed for all people. Right? Keep, keep going. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. But all things were created through him and for him. All things were created in Jesus for Jesus, right? This is, we're, we're, we're doing theology here, right? Paul is moving beyond the fact that Jesus was just a human being. Now he's saying all things were created by Jesus, the Son. So if you go back and read Genesis 1, you're allowed to go, in, go and add in this word that in the beginning, God, through Jesus, created the heavens and the earth because he was there working, creating. God, God had a partner when he was creating. God the Father spoke the word. And Jesus was there at his side rejoicing and, and helping. So I, I love the way Proverbs 8 describes Jesus' participation in creation because Proverbs 8 is a wisdom section and it, it tells you that Wisdom was there with God, rejoicing and delighting in every aspect of God's creation. So if you, if you want to turn there and look at it with me, it's really helpful. It's just trying to get you the idea that, that God, God had a partner when he, when he created the world. When he, it was Jesus. So it's Proverbs 8.22. Alright, and so it's Part of what, what Paul is saying, Jesus created all things. And here, here's how it describes it, right? It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I, wisdom, was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. So wisdom was there before creation. And when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the foundations of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits so the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. <laughs> you see that picture? Wisdom, was God's son, was there 
being enjoyed by his father, and together they enjoyed, <laughs> they enjoyed the inhabited world, everything that was made. And what part of what Paul is saying is that wisdom is a real person. It was the eternal son who became Jesus in the flesh. God created all things through Jesus. He was there. Why? Well, it's all for Jesus. <laughs> the Father gave all things to Jesus. It's a gift. Why are you here? What are you here for? Right? It's, is there anything more than just having fun before you die? Is there anything more than being successful or having a family or finding someone who loves you until before you die? Is there anything more than just simply being busy before turning back to, into dust. You were created for Jesus. Created to be known, to be delighted in, to be enjoyed by Jesus, so that you might have a Father in heaven who, that, that knows you and you know him. See, part of this picture of all things are created by Jesus and for Jesus that means all things were made by God to give to Jesus. It's a gift. Right? So I said, this is, this, everything about is, everything that there is, is about Jesus. <laughs> now it says Jesus is before all things. All right, now it's both before as in he's in charge, but, but before also has time uh, implications, right? That Jesus was there before there was time. He, the Christ, the beloved Son, was eternal, as we confessed this morning. If he's before all things, the Son is divine, and he's always been God's eternal, unchangeable, beloved Son. God has always been a Father, and he's the Son, and the Son has always had a Father. Right? And Jesus, as the pre-existing Lord before all things, has always been God's Son. Now we're starting to get into the mystery, and that's, that's as far as we know. All right. What we know is there's God who is a father. We know there's God who is a son. And the son came down to earth as a human being in order to include us in this relationship with God. He's before all things. He's the creator. That's the big idea. If you don't understand anything I'm saying, God is complex. We'll talk about that. Jesus created all things, and you were created for Jesus. That's the point, and he's bigger than you would, you would think at first glance. We're back with Lucy again. You've grown bigger. See, part of what Paul wants me to see and wants you to see and the Colossians to see, Jesus is more than just one God among many. He's above all, all gods. He's not just one spiritual option. So I said, this offends us just as much as it did them. Right. Can you get anything more from Jesus in whom all the fullness of God dwells? Can you get more than fullness? I mean, what else is there? I mean, put it this way. Just imagine your father gave you all the money in the world. You have all funds. Every last penny. Right. What does give me more or give me something different sound like? to the giver. Right. It's offensive because the, a gift is personal and God gave you Jesus 
And in Jesus is the fullness of God, and you cannot get any more spiritual than having the very fullness of God in Jesus. See, Jesus is the true story of the world. He created all reality. He is holding all reality together. He existed before reality was a thing because he's the realest thing. And right now, Jesus is actively working to write and renew and reconcile all of reality. But all of that is possible because of who he is as the preexistent creator. Right. So there's a couple applications. I told you, I, I warned you ahead of time. I'm going to stretch your brain a little bit. A couple uh, theological applications and one deeply helpful pastoral one, right? Theological, this is one of those passages which is written only 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead. Why I'm not a Muslim, why I'm not Hindu, uh, why I don't follow any other religion, it's because of Jesus. Spirituality without Jesus is not wise because it's like ignoring gravity or ignoring oxygen. <laughs> right? He's the center of the universe. That's Paul's argument. Right? And if you add other spiritualities who do say true things, we'll talk about that, um, but it doesn't connect you to God the Father in particular. Right? It's personal. When God gives you to Jesus, it's saying don't add anything else to Jesus because that offends the Father. The Father who created all things to be about Jesus. And bless us in the meantime that we might enjoy him. Right. One of the things that helped me think about this was uh, Bethany and I's first argument in marriage. Right, where Bethany, out of the fullness of her heart, made her grandmother's mac and cheese. And that was the full dinner. And I got done with my helping of mac and cheese. And in my world, because um, it was about me in that moment, uh, mac and cheese was a side dish. So I wanted to add to her meal. Right? This is free marriage counseling for you guys. <laughs> uh, so I went and made a sandwich and added to her gift. I added something to the fullness of that gift. And uh, yeah, that's when we learned we were both married to sinners and had different ideas on how to live, live together. But that, that's the whole idea. If you add to Jesus in any way, you're insulting the giver. Other religions, I'm going to say this carefully, other religions say some true things about caring for the poor, loving your neighbor, lifting up the oppressed, right? just being a decent human being. Absolutely, cheer for them. But the question is, what do they say about Jesus? Because all things and all people were made by Jesus. And to ignore Jesus is to ignore the one that made you. Right. Second, uh, second theological application, right? I think you're getting in the idea that God is more complex than we, uh, we can humanly understand. Right? So it's talking about Father and Son and Spirit. I mean, at minimum, it's saying God is, God is one God. The scriptures are clear on that. And he's Father and Son. And elsewhere, he says he's Spirit. And, and holding these things together, right? If he is the image of the invisible God and always been the image of the invisible God as son, God has never been alone. It's complex, but it's, it's showing you that God's divine wisdom worked together to include us in this relationship so that we might be sons of God as Jesus is the son of God, fully loved, fully known, as we read in Proverbs 
right? Delighting in the Father and what he does, but also being delighted in by the Father who made the world. Right? So I know these things get confusing, but, but part of what we can do is rest. The reason we talk about God being complex is because of Jesus. Because of, he showed up and he was talking about his Father. And he talked about the Spirit as people. Uh, pastoral point. You see how big Jesus is? It says, not only is all things created by Jesus and for Jesus and through Jesus, he also says, in Jesus, all things are being held together. He is actively holding all things together. You breathe right now because Jesus wants you to keep breathing. And so, we came today, you came today with different fears and anxieties and frustrations and hurts. This is a, theology is immensely practical. It's showing you the bigness of Jesus to teach you, to talk to your fears, to let the peace of Christ come into your heart, as we told, told the kids. Because right? when I'm anxious, and I do get anxious, whether it looks like it or not, I hide it really well. If you don't know what to pray or how to pray, talk to Jesus who is holding all things together when you are falling apart because you cannot hold all things together. Right? Some of you are wondering how I'm going to get through the next week. You don't have to. Because Jesus is going to hold on to you as you go through the next week. That's what this is saying. It's a great prayer to pray when you, you can't say anything else. Lord, you are holding all things together. I can't fix this. Help. See, see Jesus is bigger yet? If he is holding all things together, then nothing happens apart from, from him. So, second point, what will lead us to the table and is much shorter. I knew that was going to take a while. What is... If Jesus is Lord of creation and he created all things and all things were created for Jesus, why are things so bad if he is so good? Why are you anxious? And that's, that's part of where Paul gets into the, the second half of, of who Jesus is. He's reconciling all things in creation and heaven and on earth to himself. Jesus is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. <laughs> See, part of what this is telling you is Jesus knows things are not how they ought to be. Right? Reconciliation is only needed when there's conflict when there's been separation, when there's something that has gone deeply awry and wrong. And if you want to know what Jesus is doing about it, he is actively working to reconcile the world to himself, beginning with the church. He is the head of the body, the church. So church is all about Jesus, if you're wondering. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Again, this is... This is ownership language. Jesus is Lord even over death. Everyone who dies belongs to Jesus, whether they're going to be with him for all of eternity or separated from him all of eternity. Death is a question that is connected to Jesus. 
Because in everything, God wants Jesus to have the attention. But just let that sink in, what we talked about. And this will take us to the, to the table. If Jesus is the creator, and when he was a human being, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Jesus was fully God when he was on earth as a human being. Part of what's so astounding about this passage is it said he bled and he died. See, in the ancient world, bodies, bodies were disgusting. Truly spiritual people did not care about human bodies. Because they had desires, they get people to do crazy things, they make strange smells, they, they make strange sounds, we bleed, we cry, fluids are always coming out of us, we get weaker, our bodies fall apart. I mean, just spend any time in a hospital or just watch your own body slowly age. Right? It's the result of the fall, it's the result of the curse. And God's plan to begin to renew all things, to reconcile all things to himself, is that the Son would suffer and become human like you or I. Become as real as that loaf of bread on the table. You could touch it. To have a body. In order to fix everything. That's the beginning. Right? John Donne, the pastor in the 17th century, said, you know, it was a big deal. Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be made like man, that's much more. Both are amazing, but imagine God honoring you by becoming like you to the point of death itself, the blood of his cross in order to reconcile us to himself because that's what's wrong with the world is me. So you want to know whether Jesus is trustworthy? It's talking about all this power that resides and all this authority that resides in one person. Paul deliberately puts these things together to end that well, if you're in the Roman world, how did you know that, that you weren't in charge? You would walk down the road and you would see disgusting bodies bleeding and dying on crosses to show you that, that Rome rules. Right? The roads would be lined with warnings. Don't you dare rebel because peace with Rome comes at a cost and it's not us you are going to pay when you step out of line. You will die. Look at how Jesus uses power his new creation power, to create order out of chaos. It's not at cost to us. It's shedding his own blood to reconcile us to God. Shedding his blood for his enemies by being lifted up on a cross so that God might call those enemies friends and sons. Beloved of the Father. There's no God like that who would be that humble, that, that generous, who in, in saying, make a big deal about me, at the same time shows you, look at how big of a deal he has made of you in pursuing you even to his own death. So how do you know Jesus is renewing all things? Well, according to Paul, the church is the proof. Jesus is head of the church, the body, that's where new creation power is filling the globe. Right now, the church is the place where God is working out a new creation, calling people to become Jesus followers, to be connected to his authority, to fix us. Because we live our lives in the kingdom of that person, 
the beloved Son, who was before all things and whom all things are held together, who created all things, and all things are for him. And so the question is, for you and I today, as you got a glimpse of Jesus, as your head has been filled with a lot of knowledge, did it affect your heart? As Jesus grows bigger, has your heart been moved and melted by this king who would purchase peace for you by his own blood to the point, as the catechism says, are you ready from now on and willing to live for him? Because as you do that, you'll see this is not just about you then, it's about this church family and it's about what God is doing in the world and it's a wonder that he would include people like us and we're going to taste that here in a moment. So who do you say Jesus is? May, may, may the Spirit show you that he is even bigger. Let's pray. Father, we, you have reconciled us to, to yourself through the blood of Jesus. And now as we come to the table to taste these realities, strengthen and nourish our faith, uh, encourage our hearts, uh, knit us together in love that we would reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding that we would know Jesus better and then be ready and willing from now on to live for him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody, the elders come forward. <laughs> and one of the beauties of coming to the, the Lord's table